giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is October 12th. I am Ben Orenstein, and I am here with William Josephson and Jay Murthy. How's it going, guys? Great. Thanks. You guys are from Solano Labs, makers of Tedium. Is that right? That's, That's right. right. Um, so the classic question you have to ask for new companies is to get the elevator pitch. So do you want to, what do you want to tackle that? Sure. So Tedium is about bringing massively scalable, easy-to-use, painless continuous integration to everybody, even small startups, even extremely large organizations. We can scale from the smallest little app to real production systems that you know take hours and hours to test on a laptop. Mm-hmm. And we can make people much, much happier in the process of building their software, making really great work. Awesome. So, so you're speeding up tests. It's continuous integration. It's paralyzed. They're going faster. I saw on your site that you guys are just, just crossed 14 million tests run. That's right. We're actually yeah. getting close to 15 million. Yeah. And 10 million was just a few weeks ago. So it's picking up, picking the, up pace. the pace. Yeah, yep. Picking up the pace big time. Excellent. Um, so can you give me sort of a, a rough idea of like what the architecture looks like behind the service? Sure. So um, there's actually a, a lot of things in the stack that should be familiar to you know a lot of the people who are listening to this. There's a, a Rails application that's serving you know much of the user interface and actually some of the backend control. the The user interface is implemented you know partially using pretty standard Rails views, mm-hmm. uh, and then a backbone application for real time updating. Um, in the guts of things, we use a mix of Postgres and Redis. Most of the real time updates, all of the you know. All of the test results coming back, all of the kind of real-time build flow, mm-hmm. the queuing system, that's all implemented based on Redis. And we use Postgres as a, a permanent backing store after you know a build has settled down, it gets flushed back into, into Postgres. And we use Postgres for other transactional types of things like account management. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one interesting thing that we've been doing a little bit more recently is um, instead of uh, optimizing things with C extensions... We've actually been using Go web services hmm. to pull out little bits of critical path, high performance, uh, high performance aspects of the system. We've been actually having a, a lot of great success with testing the Go web services with Ruby code. Huh. Yeah. So you, you, you build a little web service in Go, and then you write some Cucumber features around it or uh-huh. something like that. And we found that that's a really great, great way to test because what you're looking for a lot of times is kind of more of an integration or end-to-end test. And... The tools uh, in Ruby are just really much better for that sort of thing than they are in a lot of other communities. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so what, what's the, uh, an example of the kind of thing that uh, is critical path that you can speed up by writing one of these, these Go services? So, I mean, one, one thing is that we have, you know, if you want to talk to, your, you have a set of, of virtual machines that everybody's running on, and you want to, when you want to talk to those virtual machines or make calls into your, whatever your service provider is for, for provisioning and so on, um, <clears throat> Go is a great fit for that because it can manage a, a lot of concurrency very naturally in a way that's a little bit more challenging to do with Ruby. Mm-hmm. Ruby is really great where you need extensibility, where you want to add features quickly. But um, you know, if you if you want to have ten thousand connections outstanding, you can do that with something like Event Machine, and you know that's certainly one way to go. But you can kind of preserve a, a natural um, threaded model of, with Go and and ha- handle that kind of massive concurrency pretty easily. Excellent. So we sort of stopped before we got to the sort of the, the guts. Like, where are the tests running? Aha. Uh-huh. 
Is this is this proprietary? Can we talk about this? Um, it's it's not proprietary, but um, we you know we don't actually tie ourselves to a, a particular provider necessarily, but we run them you know quote unquote in the cloud. Mm. So we use a, a public cloud provider. Much of that actually is run now in Amazon Web Services, mm-hmm. um, which should never be heard surprising of surprising to yeah. really anybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, not a surprise. But I mean, one of the, one of the things that for us is that we're kind of cloud agnostic. We're not uh, not tied specifically to Amazon. Um, we've they've they've done very well for us. I mean, that, that's been a, a, a being able to kind of scale rapidly with them is is obviously a benefit to a lot of of businesses. Uh, you know, the Ruby people are building, but um, we do specifically made a design choice not to integrate so deeply with Amazon that we couldn't move elsewhere. If that made sense. Hmm. And have you have you used that ability yet, or is that just sort of a of maybe someday kind of thing in, in a limited manner yes what it comes down to is is just the flexibility of being able to deploy quickly mm-hmm. and you know to do that in a way that we can actually control the environment pretty yeah fast. having that as a design goal enforces a certain discipline on you so you make sure you separate concerns in, in the right way right um you know so that even if you never end up actually using the, using the fact although as jay said we, we do a little bit it's um it's a useful coding discipline. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I have a nice abstraction layer. For, exactly. For yeah. I, I gave a talk recently and I mentioned something like this. It's just when I'm, when I'm working with external services, I'll almost always write like an intermediate layer. Right. And not just, not because I'm pretty sure we're going to f- switch it, although it makes it easier if we do, but because it gives you other benefits. Right. It's yep. like easier to stub that service out. You know, you don't end up with like these implementation details yeah. in your own code. Yeah. And actually stubbing it out is, is a great example because there are a lot of things where you want to be able to, to write uh, a, a unit test or an, uh, a functional test, and you don't want to have to go and spin up a whole lot of virtual machines mm-hmm. in Amazon. And you know, you, there are some people who have been you know, spinning up virtual boxes locally to do that kind of testing, and that, that's reasonable, but, and there may be some great reasons to do it, but it's heavyweight. And so if you can just stub out a lot of that stuff, and you have the abstraction layer to make that kind of feasible, uh, right. that's a big, a big deal. Right. Mm. Cool. So can you guys share how many paying customers you have these days? Uh, a few hundred. Okay. Excellent. Put it that way. Yeah. Good. So going well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going well. It's growing. It's, uh, it's definitely making people happy, uh-huh. which, is, which is kind of what, what it's set out to do. And mm-hmm. you know, the feedback that we've received has been more or less universally positive. Mm-hmm. Right? People are just super happy that they don't have to set up another Jenkins box or put a Mac mini in the corner and do this thing. And we or actually 20 Mac minis. 20 in, Mac the, minis. in the corner. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a, a build that takes four hours and you, and you kind of wish it would go in 10 minutes, that's well, we can do that for you. Do that. Cool. What's and been, we have done that. Yeah. Excellent. So, so what's been the biggest surprise so far in running this company? I think, I mean, one of the things that's fascinating to me, both of us come from a, from a, a storage background mm. and we've worked at large companies, ones that took, um, you know, a lot of capital to get off the ground. And things like Amazon have just changed the face of, of, of startups. There are just so many interesting startups you can build. And so many of our customers are building with Ruby um, that you can kind of start with something like Heroku, Engine Yard, or, or just straight on Amazon. And the upfront capital expenditure is so much lower that they're just the, the time from idea to, to, to yeah. some execution is... So much smaller. I think that's really yeah. exciting. Mm-hmm. And the you know the time from from that execution to first customers to real feedback and sort of you know the this iterative process of, of building and delivering software is you know it's it's something that I'd experienced in in a in a sort of different setting, but 
it's actually really awesome to see how fast it goes. Mm. And I think the other thing that's interesting is we kind of go back and talk to people in the storage industry that, that some of these ideas around how to do testing and to do, you know, how to do iteration and so on have been adapted for the storage industry. They're different. They're not doing a one-week sprint or a two-week sprint. You're doing a, a, a one-month sprint or a six-week yeah. sprint mm. because you're dealing with hardware and, and, you know, it's just, it's different. But at the same time, there's a recognition that what's going on in the Ruby community and in the of the Web 2.0 community is real innovation in how to how to manage products and build build software products, mm -hmm. and so seeing that kind of go back into into some of the the uh, the storage industry is kind of interesting because they're very late adopters of things like this. Right, in they're general. they're very conservative, but you know you look at the you look at the the major applications that everybody uses on a day to day basis, and they're complex machines. Right, they're they're large software systems. Most of them are running on hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of cores, mm. right? Lots and lots of computers are serving Twitter and Facebook and Google. And right. these are not, you know, it's not the it's not the kind of simple application, but the same frameworks and the same, you know, ways of building these pieces of software scales up and down. Yeah, and so you see people cool. in financial services, you see people in storage, you see people all, all over the place talking about using the same terminology, using the same process and getting a lot of the same benefits. Right. It's kind of neat. Hmm. So you guys said that your your background is sort of in storage and hardware and things like that. So are are were either of you Rails developers before you started this company? No. Wow. Interesting. We actually hadn't ever written any Ruby. No Ruby. And you started a company targeted at Ruby developers. Yep. Uh, did that concern you? Does it concern you now? Nope. I don't think so. I mean, it, you know, it's it's been interesting. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a vibrant community around Ruby no matter where you go. So. You know, we've we've obviously spent a lot of time here in Boston, out in San Francisco, but we went to Ruby Midwest last fall, and you know, there's a good good community there. And I think with that kind of community, kind of kind of and a community that's willing to reach out and say, here's here's how we think about problems, here's what's interesting to us, mm -hmm. and a bunch of smart people. You know, you know, it, the the transition wasn't too painful. Mm -hmm. It's it certainly a learning curve, but you know, we've all done that with Rails, no matter where how we started with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and how, how are you making sure that you are building something that people want if you're not building it for yourself? Well, well, there are two answers to that. One, we are building it for ourselves. We, we dog food like crazy. I think that's really important. If, you mm -hmm. know, if there's some products where it doesn't make sense, but if, if it makes sense, you've you got to be dog fooding it. But because um, you're kind of your own worst critic in some ways mm. or best critic, depending on how you look at it. But um, I think the other the other thing is that we just like to get out there and talk to people. You know, we spend a lot of time talking to customers. Uh, you know, we like to hear feedback. I mean, we don't always hear things we want to hear, but uh, the things we need to hear. And so we're kind of really eager to hear what the community is doing, where they're going, how they're thinking about uh, testing software quality, and um, figuring out how to how to make Tedium a better product. To, mm. you know. And how to make it you know serve the needs of this community in a in a better way. Um, I think you know you can't do it in a vacuum. I guess is is is, is a large part of the answer. Right. I mean that's why why we came up to Thoughtbot and you know we're, we're talking to we started off talking with Dan, but um, kind of one of our first questions is would you use this and if you would use it how would you use it what would you what would make you interested in using it mm -hmm. and it turns out that the answer is different for different people right you know there's there's the guy with the uh, ten thousand line Heroku app who says you know I've got three devs or two devs and I just don't want to deal with the the pain of setting up CI but I need it. And then there's the the 80 or 90 person or 100 person engineering organization in a company of 3 or 4 or 500 people and they say, you know, 
we've got a four or five, six hour build. We we can't do our business if we don't have those. And they're just kind of they have a, there's a lot of overlap, maybe more than I expected, but then they they're also different use cases too. Right. Hmm. So we were working together for a while. Can yeah. you talk about what that engagement was? Sure. I mean, I think there've been several. James. Sure. So the there actually have been there have been a number of uh, a number of neat little projects. The the first one was actually um, just the first touch of nice CSS. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and actually, Galen was working on that. And he did a great job. Um, and then the the next the next project was actually our uh, GitHub API integration. So you can sign in via GitHub and you know automatically configure. All of your GitHub repos to build, you know, pretty seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Click, 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 and and they come up and they build. Um, a lot of that work is actually done by uh, by both uh, Galen and John. Mm-hmm. Galen Freshetta and John Yurk. And John Yurk. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, good experience. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. We've had a, a great experience. I think you know it's uh, it's not easy to just kind of drop into an unfamiliar code base and be pretty immediately productive and have have useful ideas about the product too i think i mean maybe it's a little different because it's a technical product so kind of thoughtbot's also a customer but mm-hmm. but um you know kind of thoughtful feedback is almost as valuable as the engineering talent mm. for us you know kind of right thoughtbot's done this sort of thing before you know and, and has a lot of useful things to say yeah and that's actually to- that's totally one of the, the type of project we look for is something where we contribute we can contribute beyond just code. Right. It's like something we think we could have useful opinions on and offer useful feedback, right. as opposed to just like taking a set of requirements thrown over the wall and like right. code it up and give it back to you. Right. right. And you know, we, we tend not to we tend not to really work that way. In the, in the same sort of vein of, you know, making sure that what we're building is what people want. Mm-hmm. We'd like to you know we like to to iterate closely and get feedback from everybody involved. Right. It's you know it's it's not a it's not my way or the highway. It's yeah, we've learned a lot from our customers too. Get this done and too, make you know. it useful, and, and incorporate everything that you can to make it as useful as it can be. Hmm. Um, so I think one of your competitors in the space would be somebody like Travis CI. Is that true? Yeah, sure. I, you know, Travis has been traditionally much more focused on the open source community than, mm-hmm. than we have, and I think that's great. I think it's you know having that that facility is is important to the to the community. I mean, things like. Uh, Rails itself needs needs continuous integration, and we're not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's not something we're doing. But we also we, we are thinking about uh, ways to to give back to the community mm-hmm. uh, through open source software, and also through offering, you know, public builds. That's not something that we currently do, but mm-hmm. it's you know it's on the roadmap certainly. Mm-hmm. How do how would how do CI services differentiate themselves? Like how how do you? I mean, there there are, there are a number of things. One of the, one of the things that we offer that really nobody else offers is massive scale. We can we can offer people really a high performance uh, uh, experience that nobody else is is really in the position to do, and that's kind of where we use our you know, leverage our background is is in building large scale distributed systems with that are high performance. And what does massive scale translate into for me? So uh, you know for. for for a smaller customer who's, who's got a, a small Heroku app, a small team, it means you know, it's bulletproof. And I think you know that certainly the Travis folks have done a good job there too. But um, that's certainly a value that we add as well. Um, if you look at at a large build, you know, a multi-hour build, it's not a trivial 
thing to get that to run in five or ten minutes, and that's what a lot of our customers come to us for. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. there's there's a there's a problem to solve there in bringing hardware to bear, bringing the right resources to but bear, it, and actually, you know, actually making it fast. Yeah. Right? And, and if you just throw a, hardware at it, it's going to be too expensive even for a deep-pocketed customer. So it has to be done carefully. You know, you, ha- you have to have the right algorithms, the right the right infrastructure, the right kind and of... do you have complicated strategies for splitting a test suite in order to achieve performance? Is that where the, yeah, the actually, wins are coming? There's, there's, a, there's a combination of, of hardware and, and kind of intelligence uh, monitoring of, of people's builds. Um, yeah. Cool. So you guys have a, um, a Heroku add-on? We as do. Part of, we has do. that been a significant source of customers or revenue? It has been. It's actually been a, a great source of, you know, it's, it's been a great source of customers. It's actually been a great source of feedback. Hmm. And it was actually one of the, the earliest launches that we did uh, was with Heroku's platform and, you know, and, and elsewhere. But um, actually a lot of, the, a lot of the, the folks who are using TDM by the, by the Heroku add-on, they have, you know, really smooth, painless experiences, hmm. right? Because their applications tend to be already tooled to fit into Heroku's platform. Right. And our platform is more or less exactly compatible with what, what you would get from Heroku, mm-hmm. and so it's uh, it, it actually works out well for everybody involved mm. because the users have a good experience, we have a good experience, and and everybody's happy. Mm. Great. So, what has worked and not worked for getting people to the site? That's a great question. Um, it's it's the perennial startup problem, right? You need to get people to just look at you in the first place, mm-hmm. and once they do that, you need to capture their attention and actually provide them some value. You know, we're talking about engineers, developers, designers, engineering managers here who are the, the customers of this product. And, you know, they don't really suffer BS. Mm-hmm. It's got, you know, it's got to be straight and to the point. It's got to be, you know, there has to be a pretty clear value. It has to be easy for them to try it. Um, I, I think some of the some of the experimentation initially came around pricing you know people but that doesn't get people there it doesn't it doesn't get people there. what gets people to the uh, homepage? what's worked for that i mean there are, no, there are a number of things we have we've put together a, a screencast that's already on the website we've got some more videos uh kind of keyed up to come out over yeah. the next several weeks and months and i think uh, people you know people really do respond to that it gives them a kind of a, a, an easy way to see what's going on in 30 seconds and once they're of, there right once, yeah, they're, once there. they're there but i think it you know set, set me one step back so i've never heard of you before how do i hear about you ultimately content is king okay right so we've you know we've put up you know we've put up google ads and search engine optimization type of things and those actually drive a decent amount of traffic mm-hmm. but the, the interesting, you know, interesting blog posts, interesting conversations we've had. We do a lot of meetups. We go to a lot of conferences. You know, we like to meet people. Mm. And we like to hear about what their problems are and right. talk to them. And that, that always works well. Um, Twitter has been a place where people kind of you know, share their experiences about the service. And then, you know, that we certainly see new people come to the website as a result of their friends tweeting about it. But, um Gotcha. You know, there's certainly the blog blog posts are important. We've um, when, when interesting things happen in the company, we try to write up you know something about it. We see, you know, one thing was when do people commit? 
you know, that was kind of an interesting question for us. When are, when are people working, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you see different working patterns and you can very quickly see who's a nine to five shop and who's a, a lean mean startup and so on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we've written blog posts about that. They kind of get shared around. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of the usual, the usual smattering of, of things, you know, we sponsor events here in Boston and we've done some in San Francisco too. Gotcha. Uh, are you running any AB tests at the moment? Yes, but not not in the not in the traditional A/B test type of model. Right? Okay. So we're not we're not splitting users at random. Um, we 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 do more, uh, I think, methodical limited rollouts. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we're a lot of the the limited rollouts have to do with you know platform software that you know it's. It's less to do with, you know, for example, the, you know, the, the response of a user to a layout of an application or of, a, you know, kind of form of text or, you know, something like that to a design, and mm-hmm. more to do with um, actually validating correctness of things for, you know, particularly advanced users or people who are. Yeah, we have a, exactly. a lot of people come in and kind of an early access to new features. Yeah, so you have like you're running like a beta for like JRuby yeah. support, for yeah, example. Yeah, there's a private beta for, for JRuby support. Um, we've certainly done the same thing for new testing frameworks um, and you know new software packages. We've got people who you know say somebody needs a new scientific library. You know, that was one that came up not that long ago. Mm. We certainly will roll that out to a small select group who clearly have a, a need and a use for it, and then. Uh, before we kind of generally announce it, so there's, mm. a, there's certainly a kind of certainly a fe- things like feature keys are, are a big part of it, and that's in part because we don't want to disrupt the workflow of of users who are using the system on a regular basis and don't need the new feature yet. So why why put it in their in their their day to day workflow mm-hmm. um, until we've had a few people who, who need the new feature who really kind of vetted and, and banged on and said, yeah, that that's great, makes sense. And then, so of of the, you guys have a free trial. You do. We do. Yeah. Uh, do you know roughly what percent of people are, are signing up after the free trial? Uh, it's it's a you know it's a decent conversion rate. Mm-hmm. I don't think we want to share specific numbers, okay. but it's you know we're You're, pretty happy with it. Are you are you, you know, obviously it's something that we it's something we track pretty through, closely, but, obviously, yeah. and yep. you know we think we do think hard about how we can improve improve that. What what when somebody comes in and they use it, I really want to know why why they use it. When they come in and they say you know. This isn't for me. I want to know. I want to know why. So yeah. you know, I'll, 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 we definitely we definitely talk to, to customers. Pretty, cool. Pretty ha- have there customers. been any um, lessons from there? Like things you've done that have resulted in a noticeable bump there? The the main lesson there is to remove thought from the process. Mm-hmm. Right. The more people have to ponder and decide and sort of evaluate choices or you know decisions that they have to make, or for example, you know failed builds that they have to fix yeah i mean one one thing that we've seen certainly is that we now have enough users uh you know there are a thousand developers or more using the platform on a daily basis we got a lot a lot of users jay was talking about a number of kind of accounts but there's you know you can have a hundred developers under a single account Mm -hmm. um so you got a, you got a thousands of people using it on a daily basis, and they're using a lot of different gems and using things in kind of unexpected ways. And so what you end up seeing is you see that you know certain versions of certain gems have bugs in them. That, you know bugs happen, right? You, you can test as much as you want, and you're still going to have them. Mm-hmm. 
what we can do is you know we can recognize that in a in somebody's application that they have a problematic gem before they even run their tests like they send us their gem file they send us their gem file dot lock we can look and we can say you know this may have been working for you but you might actually have a problem you might really want to upgrade this gem or hmm. this version of this gem we've seen a lot of problems with that and this other gem and so you know you're asking about conversion rates being able to do that's actually really valuable it's great for retention because it, it you know it delivers value. I mean, people actually like that. It's actually sure. useful. Yeah. But it also is helpful for driving conversions because you know when people have a their natural the natural reaction when you're using a new service is it must be their bug because right. it it works for me locally. Mm-hmm. And we actually see that you see that more with tests too because you know just like the rest of the community, we use a Mac for a lot of our for a lot of what we do. But most people are deploying to Linux, and it turns out that there are certain th- things in your test suite that work on a Mac and don't work under Linux. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you, there's a bug in your application. It means actually that there's just some dependencies in your test suite on the fact that you're under Linux. Or in other cases, it can actually be a real fault that you just have been fortunate not to hit. And so, you know, a simple example is um, using RSpec. People will put uh, a whole bunch of, of support things under spec support, uh, under the spec support directory, and they expect to load those. The, they actually have order dependencies in, in the way that the order of those files are loaded. Uh-huh. And there are differences in the semantics for Linux and, and macOS on, on that. You know, macOS sorts those for you. Linux doesn't. Mm. So you know, they'll, they'll, run, they'll run their tests uh, in TDM where everything's running under Linux and things won't work. And they'll say, you know, no, TDM must be broken. And so being able to detect that that's a problem and automatically say, you know, you need to sort. You need to you right. make sure you have a, a well-defined load order here. Mm. Giving yeah. people the tools to actually, you know, notice that on their own, prompt them in the right way, and actually, you know, solve that problem on their own. Yeah, is mm. actually that a, sounds a, powerful. A How do you detect that? Do you look for like you've defined this method twice in these yeah, set of know, files? There, there are a bunch of things. You know, you can you can. You, Depends on how much, how deep an analysis you want, you want to do. You know, some some things you can just find with crap, basically. And there, mm-hmm. are, there are other things where you need to actually, you know, look at the code a little bit and do a little bit of static analysis. And we can do that. Okay. And are you do, do you run some automatic checks like that, or is this sort of a you you investigate when the builds aren't working? We usually For, do those automatic. Yeah, I mean, so th- those things need to be automatic because you know, like Jay said, we love going out and talking to customers, but you know, it we can't. We can't do that every minute of the day for every customer, and they don't want it. They really what they want is they want the thing to work, mm-hmm. and if it, they want to be able, they want to be self sufficient. They want to be able to say, "Oh, here's a, a message that says, you know, here's an article I can read, and I'll go fix it myself." They don't necessarily want us in the loop. I mean, they like coming and learning stuff from us, but then on the day to day, they just want they want to be able to be automatic and, and have that quick turnaround that a computer can deliver. And mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes we actually get interesting suggestions of, of those types of warnings from our customers. Mm. You know, it's, it's, everybody is kind of pushing on the latest, you know, their, you know, new releases of gems, their new releases of testing environments, testing frameworks. Yeah. I mean, and just last week I was working with a guy who's bringing up rails Four, and he's, you know, he's had some, some challenges with logging and rails Four. Mm. um, I think they're kind of, I think they've been they're well understood and been fixed now, but you know, People are always kind of pushing the envelope, and so there's that natural dialogue there. And then some of the early adopters kind of – we work with some of the early adopters to give them a good experience. And then um, you know, larger engineering organizations that, that have to be a little bit more conservative just because that's a requirement of their business. It's a large business. Um, they come to us and say, well, what, you know, what are other customers doing? What other, uh, other, thing, other people seeing? And so mm-hmm. – 
there's an opportunity also for us to say, you know, we don't share any, we don't, sh we don't even look at people's code unless they sign, sign an NDA with us or, or, or tell us they can't, or that we can. But we do have kind of software looking at their software to help them. And then in some cases, we've, as we talk with customers, they say, you know, do you know another customer who's facing this problem? And we can go and if that's another customer that we know well, that we know has that problem, we can say, do you want to talk to somebody? And it's kind of a matchmaking, a dating hmm. service for, for this sort of thing, where we're very careful because we don't want any, you know, we don't tell people who our customers are. We don't really, you know. We're, we're you know, we're very cognizant of people's privacy. But at the same time, there are customers that kind of want to be able to, to connect with somebody else who has a similar problem and understand how they solve it. Sure. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about um, sort of support that you're doing. How, how big is the support burden on you guys? It's, you know, it's been really reasonable. Uh, I think one of the, the things that's, that it goes back to having the computer do a lot of this sort of thing for us, you know, being able to identify problems automatically so that, um, so that, we're, that we're not spending as much time on support, certainly, but also because it, it means that people get immediate feedback. And, and they get feedback in the right place at the right time, and um, so the, you know we make a, an effort to automate where we can, and then you know to provide the high level of service, you know, human interaction where it's necessary. Hmm. So what what does success look like for Tedium? What would you love to see happen? I mean, there are, there are a lot of things I'd love to see happen over you know in the fullness of time. I think what we see now is you know. Obviously, more more people in the Ruby community using the service. Uh, that's that's always great. Growth is always great. I think um, what we're seeing is a lot of people who are using Ruby are also using other technologies. You know, uh, and so supporting a wider range of those technologies as well, so that um, you know that we can support those same organizations as they grow and adopt new technology. Hmm. I think the you know success is is achieving that goal of, of bringing these types of you know, basically bringing the software development methodology that CI enables to more and more people mm -hmm. right and you know making that available in a way that's easy for you know easy for them to use that allows us to you know do something interesting so if all goes well would you want to hire a couple support people and then go hang out on the beach is that the eventual model is like, you know... I don't think you start a company if your goal is to <laughs> yeah. hang out on the beach. <laughs> not, not that there's anything wrong with the beach, but I don't, I don't think that's what people do yeah. uh, you know, if, you, if you're starting the company. I think, I think that there's um, a lot of interesting technology still to build, uh, even, you know, to make Tedium better. Um, so there are, there are a lot of interesting challenges yep. yet to so if, solve. So if you had 20,000 customers, what would you be doing? I'd be looking for 80. What? I'd be looking for eighty thousand. Okay, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, sure. I, I think I think with twenty thousand customers, there there's a, there are a lot of things you can do. I think one of the things I'd like to see happen in the Ruby community is uh, somebody who uh, uh, can help people understand what gens they should be using. The one thing that, that there's less of in the Ruby community that some other communities have, and I think can be an advantage. In the right circumstances, is a, is a corporate sponsor for around around some of the, the core pieces. Um, you know, I think the open source ethos is great. I think that having the the, the Rails core team doing what they they do is great. I think that as a a user of Ruby, kind of knowing, having a little more insight into which which gems 
are, are best suited for a particular task. You know, kind of eight. I can go ask on Stack Overflow. I can go ask at the Boston at Boston.rb, but I got to go kind of go out and ask. I wish there were kind of a central repository for that sort of thing. And I think something like PDM can do that because it's with with a lot of users, you can kind of say, well, these are the things that work. These are the things that don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, It'd be interesting to see a breakdown of like. Um, probability of a broken build given a certain gem appears yeah, in your gem like file. I, mean, I don't, I don't, you know, we've, we've done some of that sort of analysis. I don't know. Ooh, what's the worst? No, I mean, we don't, I don't think we have. That'd be a good have, blog post, right? It would be, it'd be a great blog post. I think, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, I know that I think it's more the probability of a broken build given this gem and this particular version of that gem, mm, because right. yeah. you know, there's some there's some really useful important gems out there. Like Nokogiri would be an example, and they've, they've had there was a, a version that, that broke uh, a couple with of customers specific version with a very specific with version. And it, was quick, and, it was quickly yeah. you know, it was quickly fixed, and so it's not like oh you know this isn't a good gem. It's a great gem, but mm. you know knowing that this is this version is not so great. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as a concrete example, we have a, a, a number of customers. You're asking kind of things that improve conversion well we had a, a lot of customers who came in and they had done a bundle install initially locally and they pushed it to tedium and it did and it couldn't install the bundle and they said you know what's what's up and it turns out some of the gems in their bundle have been yanked and they didn't know it mm. and the reason they've been yanked is because there were bugs that needed to be fixed but they had local copies so of they them. had local copies so, of it, so they never noticed mm. and so they had that out in production you know a way to say Here's my bundle. Is is everything kind of? Are there any known serious problems out yeah. there that I should be aware of? It's not like bad gem versus good gem. It's bad version versus good version. Totally. You know, that's a, that could be that could be useful. Yeah, sounds good. Um, awesome. I think that actually wraps things up. It's about all the questions I had for you guys. Uh, but thank you very much for coming by and chat with me. It's been great. Yeah, it's always our pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so a couple events I want to mention coming up. Uh, the first is uh, Mike Burns is giving a talk called The Expression Problem on October 30th at the Riga Ruby Group in Latvia. Uh, I'll be speaking at RubyConf November 1st through 3rd in Denver. Will I see you guys there? I don't think so. I think not, probably, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Sarah says yes. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yes. So I'll see you there. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm giving a talk called Refactoring from Good to Great. I'm going to be doing a lot of live coding. Hopefully everything will work out all right. Um, if you're going to be there, some, come say hi. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, uh, Chad Pytel will be giving a talk uh, at Software Craftsmanship North America, November 9th through 11th. He's going to be talking about Apprentice I.O. and uh, important lessons learned. Now, if you want to uh, get the notes and links from the things we've talked about at the podcast, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 16. This is our 16th podcast. So, guys, if uh, somebody wanted to try Tedium, uh, how would they get in touch with you? What's the website? They can go to solanolabs.com or tddium.com, and you can find us on Twitter at at solanolabs or at tddium. And how do you spell Solano? S-O-L-A-N-O. Awesome. Anything else you want to plug while we're here? If you have any JRuby apps that you'd like to test, we're uh, open to open to beta requests for JRuby. Awesome. And how will we get in touch with you guys specifically? Uh, just go to the website, and there should be a landing page for you to click on. Um, now, often on the podcast, we'll take some time to answer your questions. If you have something you'd like us to tackle on the air, you can email your question to info at thoughtbot.com or tweet to us at, at thoughtbot. Today's podcast was recorded by Shauna Quintal, edited by Edward Lovall, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.